Please be seated. <clears throat> this morning in uh, Hebrews, St. Paul paints a very vivid picture for us. It's really sort of the thing of, uh, of movies. You, you think a great film could be made, of an epic picture could be made of this with a cast of thousands, one of those Cecil B. DeMille events, no doubt. But he brings up the names of uh, great men and women, one woman, of the faith. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and Rahab. And he talks about great events such as the Israelites passing through the Red Sea on dry land, the fall of the walls of Jericho, all these great things that were done in the name of God by our ancestors in faith. But he also brings up the other side of the coin. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment, stonings. They were killed by the sword, sawn in two, went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And they were homeless. They wandered in the mountains and lived in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. And so we have this great uh, image of the two sides of the coin of discipleship. On the one hand, great deeds of power and heroic action, and on the other side, suffering for faith, doing the right thing, not because it's going to bring attention and glory or riches and fame, but because it is what God has put in our hearts to do. And so we have this list, sort of laundry list, of great men and women of the faith. Uh, earlier this week, um, midweek, was our feast, our patronal feast, the feast of St. Mary the Virgin. Of course, St. Mary, the mother of Jesus, there were a number of Marys in the Bible, but she, of course, is the greatest of them all. And still, for all that she did, has uh, relatively little written about her in scriptures, even less about her husband, Joseph, the man who was Jesus's foster father on this earth. And yet, these people of whom we don't know a lot managed to do great things, and we're still talking about them to this very day because of that reason. And in the case of Mary, it is her humility and her willingness to allow God to come into her life and do mighty things through her simple self, which is why we continue to talk about her, why we have churches, schools, uh, even uh, whole regions named after her, the state of Maryland, for example. And so it is in this quiet listening for the voice of God feeling the pull of discipleship and following where God leads us, no matter what, that is what makes these people great. Not because they sought out, as I said, this attention, and not, certainly not because they sought out death or suffering. God doesn't want us to look for those kinds of things. But sometimes these things happen. And in my uh, Wednesday letter, I wrote about a modern-day saint, someone who's not on the, the worldwide universal church's calendar of saints, but someone who in the Episcopal Church 
we revere because of his actions, because of his selfless following of God's call to action. And this person was uh, Jonathan Daniels, and he uh, was really quite an accomplished young man, and I didn't have room in my article to write a whole biography of him, but uh, he, was, he was a very multifaceted. He was first in his class at VMI. He won uh, the Danforth Award. He was interested in law, also in medicine. So his life could have gone in a lot of different ways, and he could have been very successful at numerous things. He could have been a surgeon. He could have been a general. He could have been a great lawyer or judge. But instead, one Sunday, one Easter Sunday, while he was attending services at Boston's famous Church of the Advent, which is a beautiful church, it's, uh, renowned for its liturgy and music and preaching, at that Easter service, his soul was stirred. God touched him in a special way. And he was moved, despite all the promising uh, preparation that he had done for other types of work in his life, he was moved to devote his life to the service of God as a priest. And so he began the process of ordination. And it's, it's a lengthy process and a thorough one, and I, I think for good reason. And so during this process, of course, he went to seminary, and he was studying in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And during his studies in 1964, I believe it was, uh, he heard Dr. Martin Luther King on television or radio call for ministers of various different faiths all around the country to join him in a march for voting rights. And he did this. Jonathan did this. He went down to Alabama, participated in the march and some other things as well, and felt very good about what he had done not in a sort of self-satisfied way, but in a fulfilling sort of uh, vocational way. And one of the things he was down there doing, and I didn't point this out in my, my letter, but I think it bears some witness, is that he was helping not just, he wasn't just coming from on high up north down to the south to correct the evils that were uh, there on behalf of the Episcopal Church. He was also down there to help us, to help our own church in its struggle with racial equality because the churches themselves were actively segregated at the time. And so he was down there working with a specific Episcopal parish in their struggle to become in a racially integrated place where people of all colors and races were welcome to worship God. And so this became a real passion of his, the, the, the unity and the oneness of God's children, uh, despite their race or sex or uh, nation of origin or language or anything else that humans put up to divide themselves. He felt a deep unity amongst people through Christ. And that really, it is our mission. Uh, and I've, I brought this up before, that the purpose of what we do is to restore all things to unity in God through Christ. And so he went down on that first mission trip and had a, a really good experience. And went back to school to finish some of his tests. And while he was in seminary, um, 
as seminarians do. He was at Evensong, and the Magnificat was sung. Now today, our opening hymn, Tell Out My Soul, is a paraphrase of the Magnificat, which is the Song of Mary. And you can find the Magnificat in several different places in the prayer book, uh, notably in uh, morning and evening prayer. It's one of the great canticles of the daily office. And it is Mary's song that she sings, or says, when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. After the Annunciation, when she finds out her role in God's plan, she goes to stay with her cousin, who herself is pregnant, and three months along with uh, what would turn out to be St. John the Baptist. But Mary recites this beautiful poem or song to her her cousin. Um, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath lifted up the, the lowly, he hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He has remembered his promises that he made to us, uh, to our ancestors, and forever. And so this song of God's might and power isn't about God is so great because he's destroyed my enemies. God is so great because he's given me things. It's God is so great because he turns the world upside down. He fills the hungry with good things. Um, The needy are helped. The, The naked are clothed. The oppressed are set free. And so in hearing these words, Jonathan Daniels was even more inspired than he was before for the cause of racial unity in this country. And so he went back, and he uh, participated in several demonstrations. He was arrested and put in jail at one point, and then suddenly released. And then uh, he and some companions were on their way to another event, and it was a hot August day in 1965, and they walked up to the steps of a small store in Haneysville, Alabama and were met by an angry uh, local resident wielding a shotgun. And these people who were just going in to buy some sort of refreshments to cool themselves were instead met with this vitriol and cursing. And at some point, the weapon was pointed towards Ruby Sales, who was a 17-year-old young black woman. And instinctively, Jonathan pushed her out of the way, and in the process, the gun was fired, he was hit directly in the chest and died instantly. His body was taken back to New Hampshire, where he was, where was his hometown, and his home state. His funeral was attended by over 800 people, and he's remembered to this day, tragically, but for good reason, because he calls us through his witness, just like all the saints do, to step up for others, to stand up for the poor, for the oppressed, for those who have no other voice besides us. And I wonder if, if he hadn't been there, he was a, a very successful, intelligent man. He probably would have finished his studies. He probably would have gone on to be the rector of a nice church somewhere and we might not know who he was. But instead, he followed that burning passion in his heart. He followed the call of God, just as St. Mary, whose words inspired him, did. She said yes to God. He said yes to God. In both cases, 
In both cases, as the uh, prophet said to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. So she brought Jesus Christ into the world, but had to witness his excruciating death. Jonathan was an apostle, a disciple of our Lord, just like we are, but in doing so, he endured a physical death. But yet, as St. Paul said to his, in his letter to the Hebrews, they died for a better resurrection. And we are surrounded because of them by such a great cloud of witnesses that we too should be able to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and that we too can run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured his cross, disregarding its shame, but taking his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have this great cloud of witnesses from thousands of years ago and from not so long ago, people like you and me who heard the voice of God and followed where he led, disregarding their own safety or well-being or thoughts of any kind of self-aggrandizement, but having their eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus and knowing that because of that cross, we are heirs of a better life, a better resurrection. And so it is our job to reach out in that love of Christ while we're here and do our part to bring about his kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.